0: the catechism we read together lord's day 21 what do you believe concerning the holy catholic christian church i believe that the son of god out of the whole human race from the beginning of the world to its end gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word, in the unity of true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and everyone as members of Christ have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think of when someone speaks about the church? Most people consider the church to be a building for public Christian worship. Some speak about the church as a particular denomination of Christians. For example, the Roman Catholic or the Lutheran Church. Yet when the Bible speaks about the church... It always refers to a group of believers. The church is not a building. Even without a building, a church can exist. For the church is a group of people. The church is a holy congregation and assembly of true Christian believers. We do not worship at church or participate in church. We are the church. It's important for us to understand this. For the quality of a church is not measured by the condition of its buildings or the appeal of its services, but by the state of the people themselves. To be a true and living church of Jesus Christ, we need to be a gathering of believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, are washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. For there to be a church, there needs to be living members of Christ's body who are committed to Christ as the head and to one another as fellow believers. Many people today no longer believe in the church. They may profess to be believers in Jesus Christ, but they have no use for his church. While about 67% of Canadians identify themselves as Christian, this includes Catholics, only 13% attend weekly worship services. Even among evangelical Christians, less than half attend church with any regularity. That's a problem. How can you confess Christ as Savior and not identify with his bride, the church? There are many reasons why those who call themselves Christians might not attend worship services. Some cannot due to illness, old age, imprisonment, or for other valid reasons. Some may have attended for a while, but they did not experience the voice of the Good Shepherd speaking to them. If a church does not practice the pure preaching of the gospel, there's little reason for its members to attend. Their issue is that they need to find a faithful church where Christ is preached, where believers are called to faith and repentance. There's also another reason why many people have left the church. It's because they have grievances against the church. Some people leave because they've had a bad experience with their pastor or another church leader. Some leave because of a dispute or falling out with other church members. Some leave because they think all Christians are hypocrites. People may not be wrong in listing their grievances against the church. The church is made up of sinful people, and at times, fellow Christians are not treated as they should be. But that's not a good reason for abandoning the church. This afternoon, we'll consider what the church is and why we need to be living members of it. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. As God's people, we believe one holy Catholic Christian church. We'll consider what the church is and what our role is. So, how did the church come about? Where did it originate from? Who keeps it together? These are important questions. Many people today consider the church to be man's work. Most of today's megachurches are associated with a dynamic leader. Such and such church is considered to be pastor so-and-so's domain. Today, the church is generally seen as an attempt by man to come to religious association. The bottom line is that for many people, the church is man's work. Yet we confess something totally different. We believe that the church is Christ's work. It is Christ who gathers, defends, and preserves the church. In our catechism it says that Christ gathers His church out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end. With these words, we confess the Catholicity of the church. Christ gathers his church from all times and places. Christ's church gathering work is not limited to specific times in history or to certain races or nationalities. Christ's church is universal. We read this afternoon from Matthew 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In response, Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. To understand this verse, we need to know that the name Peter means stone, Jesus is saying he will build his church on Peter and the other apostles' confession that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. This accords with Ephesians 2, verse 20, where Paul tells the Ephesian church they are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. What's especially noteworthy about Jesus' words in Matthew 16 is that he says, He will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not only does this make clear that it's Jesus Christ who builds the church, it also shows his loving care over his church. We, beloved, are engaged in spiritual warfare. The devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh all collude against us, trying to draw us away from the Lord. If we live as individual Christians, separated from a local body of believers, then we're easy pickings. It's very difficult for someone to stand strong in their faith through all the ups and downs of life, through trials and temptations. If you're alone, If you have no one to care for you or to hold you accountable, you could easily fall away from the faith. Yet Christ has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The church is Christ's safe haven for all those whom he has purchased with his blood. We have a responsibility to join and unite ourselves with a body of believers in the place where we live. Belgian Confession makes this clear in Article 28. It says, We believe, since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed, and there's no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself. The church is the gathering of true Christian believers. In Psalm 87, we read of the glorious things that are spoken of Zion, the city of God. The Lord himself exalts Zion as the place where people from all nations find a place to live. He speaks of people coming from Egypt and Babylonia, the superpowers of that day. From Philistia and Tyre, Israel's neighbors and rivals. And even from Ethiopia, Representing the remote nations of the world. What is remarkable is that people from all these nations come to Zion to dwell in her. To become citizens of Zion. Of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. In other words, even if they were born somewhere else, they would be born again, as it were, ...and adopted as true children of Abraham. That expression, born in her, is used three times in Psalm 87. This has led to Jerusalem being thought of as the mother of all believers. The motherhood of Zion is mentioned again in Galatians 4. Paul shows that the Jerusalem of his day was not a mother to true believers... She was overrun by Judaistic legalism. Yet he speaks of the Jerusalem that is above. And he says that she is our mother. This has led the church fathers and the reformers to make some very bold statements about the church. Augustine wrote, He cannot have God as his father, who does not have the church as his mother. Martin Luther wrote, Apart from the church, salvation is impossible. John Calvin and his Institutes of the Christian Religion said this about the Christian church. He wrote, Because it is now our intention to discuss the visible church, let us learn even from the simple title, mother how useful indeed necessary it is that we should know her for there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb give us birth nourish us at her breast and lastly unless she keep us under her care and guidance until putting off mortal flesh we become like the angels our weakness does not allow us to be dismissed from her school until we have been pupils all our life. Furthermore, away from her bosom, one cannot hope for any forgiveness of sins or any salvation. God's fatherly favor and the especial witness of spiritual life are limited to his flock, so that it's always disastrous to leave the church. Love of the image of church being our mother teaches us something very important about the need to be part of a local body of believers. What we need to understand is that the church is the primary means through which God accomplishes his plan in this world. It's God's ordained instrument for calling the lost to himself, it's the means by which he makes holy those who are born into his family. God expects, he demands a commitment to the church from everyone who claims to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In Matthew 16, Jesus not only made clear his commitment to build his church, he also gave the church the authority to open and close the kingdom of heaven. It's through the preaching of the gospel and church discipline that the church opens heaven to all who believe the gospel and closes heaven to those who don't. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we see Christ's commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the triune God and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. This shows it was God's plan to fill the world with local bodies of believers. No verse proclaims the importance of the local church more powerfully than 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. There Paul says to Timothy, I'm writing to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul calls the church the household of God. The Greek word can refer either to a dwelling place or house, or to one's family or household. Both meanings are applied to the church in Scripture. The church is God's dwelling place. God himself lives in and among his people. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul says to the whole church, not to individuals, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple temple. The application of these verses should be obvious. If we want to be where God is, we need to be part of his church, for that's where he dwells. Gathering together as God's people in worship is critical. It's here that God is with us, that he grants us all the blessings of salvation. The church is also God's family. The idea of being part of God's family is not new to most Christians. God established a covenant with believers and their children. As our Father, he promises he will adopt us as his children and heirs. As God's children, we're part of his family. We don't always associate God's family with the local church. But that's what Paul means in 1 Timothy 3.15. By faith, we're all united to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That makes God our Father and the fellow members of the church our brothers and sisters. Paul also calls the church the pillar and buttress of the truth. This tells us that the church holds up the truth. Or to say it another way, the truth is not able to stand without the church. If the pillar of a building is removed, the building will topple and those inside it will be injured or killed. Just think of what happened when Samson was given strength by God to tear down the pillar of the Philistine temple and how it collapsed and many Philistines were killed. What God is teaching us is that the truth would fall into disaster if the church did not exist. This is not to say that every local church embraces the truth of God's word and lives by it. Many churches do not. Yet when churches are disobedient to the word of God, when they subvert the truth, they cease to be true gatherings of the people of God. The marks of faithful churches include the pure preaching of the gospel, the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them, and the exercise of church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. A church must govern itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Beloved, if we understand what the church is, then we'll clearly see Christ's call to join and unite with it. It's wrong to profess a living faith in Jesus Christ and then to disregard or to leave his church. For Christ and his church are so closely connected. Christ is the head, and we are his body. Christ is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. The church is our mother. She nurtures and cares for us. She holds us accountable and corrects us. She's the means that God uses to bring us to our eternal home. God dwells among his church. We are his family. If you want to persevere in the faith as a true Christian, you need to be part of a faithful and living church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This brings us to our second point, in it we'll consider what our role is. Till now we've spoken of the church as Christ's work. He gathers, defends, and preserves for himself a church through his spirit and word. Yet its people whom Christ gathers as part of his household or family. He changes these people from the inside out. He redeems us and sanctifies us. To be sanctified means to be made holy, to be set apart for service to God. Thus, the sanctified people who form the church are called saints. As part of the doctrine of the church, we confess the communion of saints. What does it mean that we as saints have communion? With whom do we have communion? And what's the bond that unites us? To have communion means to share something, to have something in common. Our catechism teaches us that there are two parts to the communion of saints. The first is that believers, all and every one, as members of Christ, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. This aspect is of prime importance. If we don't understand it, it's very likely that our communion as brothers and sisters will suffer as a result. What does it mean to have communion with Christ? probably easiest to explain this from a negative perspective. When mankind fell into sin, the perfect unity Adam and Eve had with God in paradise was broken. Previously, they walked and talked with God. They experienced a close personal relationship with Him. Yet all that changed with the fall into sin. Adam and Eve felt guilty because of their wrongdoing and were ashamed. They hid from God's presence. Sin alienated them and all of mankind from God. Perhaps you've experienced that in a relationship with a close family member or friend. Where at a certain time you lived in harmony and fellowship together. You could have fun together, you could talk together, eat together, and share your hearts with each other. But somehow sin And the brokenness of this life got in the way. And now you're estranged from that person. It's not possible to maintain a close personal relationship anymore. Having communion with Christ means abiding in Him. And having Him abide in you. It's a love relationship. Whereby you know that by Christ's redeemed... Redeeming and renewing work, you've been restored in your relationship with Him. You know yourself to be a child of God. You love the Lord, you trust Him, you live for Him. Daily you read from God's Word, you receive comfort and encouragement from the Gospel. God's Word is a light to your path, it provides you with direction in your life. You call on the Lord in your prayers, laying your needs before the throne of grace. You share your joys and your struggles with God, trusting He will provide for you. Do you, beloved, have a close personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you have an intimate bond with the one who suffered and died to pay for all your sins. When people start dating, they often can't get enough of each other. They want to share their lives with each other, to walk and talk together, to share their hearts. Having communion with Christ means living in close fellowship with Him, knowing Christ's love for you, and loving Him with all your heart and soul, and mind. The communion of saints also involves a second aspect. Our catechism explains it this way. It says that everyone is duty-bound to use their gifts for the benefit and the well-being of the other members. Christ has given many different gifts to his church. He's given pastors and teachers to preach the good news, to comfort and encourage God's people with his grace in Jesus Christ. He has given elders to lead his people in his ways, to guard the church against false doctrine, to call those who stray to repentance. He's given deacons to see to the good progress of charity in the church, to provide for the needy, to promote with word and deed our unity in Christ. Now, beloved, our office bearers are all men with weaknesses and shortcomings. They don't always fulfill their tasks as they should. Nevertheless, God uses them as his ambassadors. He blesses the church through their service. Ephesians 4 makes it clear that it's not only office bearers who have a calling within the church. Paul writes that God has given various office bearers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ thus is not the actual office bearers thus is not the office bearers who do the actual work of ministry their job is to equip all the members of the church so each one of us can serve in some way to build each other up in the faith It's the responsibility of each one of us to be active in building up the Church of Christ. Our reading from Romans 12 teaches us how to do that. We are to love one another with brotherly affection. We are to be constant in prayer. We are to contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality We are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. We are to live in harmony with one another. We're not to repay evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Now, beloved, you cannot love someone if you never spend time with them. You cannot pray for your brothers and sisters if you don't know what's going on in their lives. You can't show hospitality if you never ask someone over to your place. You can only truly rejoice with people and weep with them if you have an intimate bond with them and if you're involved in their lives. You will not be able to maintain harmony with your brothers and sisters without ever confronting their sins and seeking repentance and reconciliation. Many Christians today view church as a spectator sport. They view it the same way as going to a hockey game or attending some concert. You may be faithful in walking through the doors of this church building for Sunday worship. You may stand to sit to sing and sit to listen and then walk out of the door to your own personal life again. Yet we're called to be the body of Christ, the family of God, the communion of saints. As such, our lives are meant to touch, to intersect, to connect, with other members of the church. Beloved, are you a spectator? Or are you a participant in Christ's church? Are you using your God-given gifts for the benefit of the other members? At times, our attitude toward the community of saints is, what can I get out of it? That's a self-centered attitude. Instead, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. How can I contribute to the life and the well-being of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? It's by getting involved in each other's normal daily lives. That we can help each other along the pathway of life. It's often by giving to others that God so richly blesses us in return. This afternoon we've seen the great privilege it is to be part of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's to the church that Christ gives his spirit and gifts. It's when we gather in worship that God strengthens and nourishes our faith through the word and sacraments. It's through the love and care of fellow believers that God strengthens and encourages us to walk with him on the way of everlasting life make a commitment to be a living member of Christ's Church, to be active in a local body of believers. May God's grace and spirit enable us to be a holy, Catholic, Christian church, a gathering of saints who live in unity with Christ and who love and support one another. Amen. In response to the gospel message, we'll sing together from hymn 52, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.